Well, we're going to do something different tonight. We've been studying in Proverbs, and since this is just a few days before Thanksgiving, and uh, because a lot of people are gone and all of that, uh, uh, I, I thought maybe tonight we would look at something different. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 14. Several years ago, and by several, I'm, I'm guessing at least 10 years ago, uh, I preached a message entitled, Who is on your guest list? I don't remember what I said in that message. I don't know the exact outline or anything like that, but I do know that it had to do with the parable that we're going to be reading about here tonight that's recorded in verses 7 through 11. And uh, so that's what we're going to look at in just a little bit. But in order to really understand the parable, we need to, we need to get the background and so we're going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse number 14, and, and then we'll just go back and uh, look at it as a whole. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway Pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him again to these things. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they, how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be uh, bidden of him. And he that bid thee and him that come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou, be, thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. And when uh, he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. And then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, Call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, and the maimed, and the lame, and the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. 
The events described here in these verses took place, as, as you know, on the Jewish Sabbath. And notice it was in the home of a prominent Pharisee. And they're gathered there to eat a meal. And uh, that just seems a bit strange, don't you think? That he is in the home of a Pharisee. Not that he, you know, that he would refuse, but the fact that they have invited him there. He, one of the chief Pharisees, and there he is, and they are his biggest critics. But, but another strange thing about this story is the presence of the man with dropsy because he's described, notice, as a certain man. He's not a chief of anything. He's not a chief Pharisee. He's not a lawyer. Uh, he, he, he's just a certain man, and not only a certain man, but he's a certain man with a dreadful disease. And in those days, among those people at least, it wasn't considered proper to invite those that were poor or those that were diseased to a banquet. You, you, you just didn't do it. And the fact of the matter is they didn't invite the women, by the way. When they're having a big banquet, it was a kind of a men's only kind of a deal, and that's what historians tell us. So, so what's going on here? Well, some have suggested that this man was actually outside the house and not not a guest at all. And somebody else says, well, he was probably a relative of the host. In other words, he's family. He, he lives there, and, uh, and he ha- has this disease, and that's why he's there. But then there's the possibility that this man is a plant. By that, I mean somebody that they are using as bait, and they've planted him there to put Jesus to the test in order to find some kind of fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, whatever the case you might be, I want you to notice verse number 1, all eyes are glued on Jesus. It says, they watched him. Uh, That's significant. They watched him. Their eyes are on him. Remember, they despise him. They are his biggest critics. And they're watching him. They want to know what he's going to do. And they're looking for a reason and, and with the hopes that they'll find something that they can condemn him. But, but Jesus knew exactly what was going on in their heart. And he took control of the situation. And, and, and if, I don't know if you noticed or not, but all through these 14 verses, he is the only one that speaks. Nobody else is speaking here. That's not to say they didn't speak at some point, but, but it's not recorded. He's the only one that's speaking. So let's just trace this story, and then we'll get down to the parable itself in a, in, in a little bit and try to make the point I want to leave with you tonight. And the, the, the first thing Jesus did it is, is, is in verse number 3. This is the first thing he asked a question. You know, that can be such an important part of teaching. It's a great teaching tool to ask questions. It might be, you know, a hypothetical question. Uh, you know, you might not really be looking for information. You're just trying to, you know, spark imagination or get people to think. And But Jesus asked the question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And according to verse 4, no one answered. No answer. 
And I, I, I just suspect about that point, they thought to themselves, boy, we're in trouble. Because I, I, I can imagine they already know where he's going with this now. And they had invited him there perhaps in order to trick him. And now he's turned the tables on them. And notice the second thing he did was to heal the man. Verse number 4, he took him and healed him and let him go. In other words, he did not allow the controversy to stop him from showing compassion on this man. You know, he could have said... He could have said, you know, I know these people don't like me. I know they are out to get me, and I want to win them over to to my side. I don't want to do anything to offend them. And I know this fellow needs help, and I have the ability to heal him of this disease. But if I do, it's going to create a big controversy here and... And this is just not the place for it. You know, a lot of people excuse themselves from Christian service with that kind of reasoning, you know. Oh, you know, if I talk to them about the Lord, they're liable to, you know, liable to get mad or something. They're liable to cause a problem. They might not like it. Well, you know, that I remember what a preacher said many years ago. He said, what are you afraid of? You're going to scare them off to hell number one or hell number two? I mean, somebody that's going to hell, you can't speak to the wrong person about Christ. And they need to hear the message. And Jesus did not let this stop him. And then the third thing is that he asked another question. Look at verse number 5. He said, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Well, Jesus knew the answer to that, and so did they. And verse number 6, notice, says, And they could not answer him again to these things. You better believe they didn't want to, that's for sure. And so there was no answer. Now, notice the fourth thing Jesus does, and that is he speaks a parable. Now, I'm not going to turn over there, but just for your information, this parable is based on, uh, on what is said in Proverbs chapter number 25. I forget the verses, but in Proverbs 25, and I think a Verse 6 and 7, there's a statement there. And this is what Jesus is basing this on. In other words, his message is based on Scripture the way every sermon ought to be. And the parable, just to put it in a nutshell, the parable is designed to teach us that we should not seek honor for ourselves, but that we ought to, to humbly put others ahead of ourselves. And this struck at the very heart of the problem with the Pharisees. As everybody knows, every Bible student knows, they were a proud, self-righteous people. They assumed that they were better than everybody else. And uh, they resented, you know, a sick man being healed on the Sabbath day. And yet these very same people would not think twice that, you know, if one of their animals was stuck out there in the ditch somewhere, they wouldn't think twice about going and getting that, that animal out of the ditch. In other words, the point is, and what he's trying to get them to see is, you care more about your personal property than you do about your fellow man. And so that's what the parable is all about. But the important part, at least for us, the real important part is the application here because notice that 
that he begins to address the host personally. Now, he's been speaking to, to everybody there, right? Uh, all of the Pharisees. But now it's like his eyes lock in on the host himself, and he's speaking to the host as he gives the parable. And in this, there, there, it's obvious that, that the host invited his guests for two reasons. Number one, he invited them in order to pay them back for what they had done for him. They had done something that pleased him, so he said, Hey, we're going to have a big party, y'all, come on over, you know. Free food, come on over. And uh, they had done something for him. Uh, the second reason that he did this was in order to place people under obligation to him or under debt to him. In other words, any way you look at it, he made it all about him. Everything he did was motivated by selfish desire instead of concern for other people. So with all of that in mind, let's just examine the Lord's message. And it's simple, it's easy, there's not any need to spend a lot of time here. Uh, and, and don't misunderstand. Whenever he said, whenever you, whenever you have, have a banquet or a feast, he said, uh, invite not your relatives and so forth. He, he's not saying that, that it's wrong for us to invite our family and our friends into, over to our house and to entertain them. That, that's not the point at all. Uh, the point is, because, you know, if we did that, it would violate the commandments telling us that we're to love those people, right? And so we ought to do that. But the point is, he's trying to get across to this guy is, you don't do that exclusively. In, in, in other words, uh, you, you don't make everything all about you. And just because you have a feast and you just invite over, you know, your your family and your friends and those that, you know, that have done things for you. He said, instead of doing that, he said, just invite those that are sick and maimed, the down and out, you know, those that don't have anything, those that can't pay you anything back. You know, they can't, he said, they can't recompense you. Uh, they'll never be able to do anything for you. But he said that, you know, those are the people I want you to reach. You know, I've seen people over the years sometimes act like they are super saints because they're loving and kind to their family and their friends. And by the way, we ought to be, but the the point is, did you ever stop to think, you know, that if that's all we do, that can be a sign of selfishness on our part? In in other words, our our circle is, is only so large as those that we care about and those that care about us and do things for us, you know, and so we make it all about self. It's a sign of of selfishness. It can be a sign of spiritual immaturity because spiritual maturity will manifest itself in us being Christ-like. Well, who was Christ? He was the champion of of the down-and-out crowd. He was the champion of the sinners, you see. And so if we're going to be like him, we've got to do what he did. And, uh, you know, the Bible talks about him going about doing good. And, you know, his primary ministry was not just to spend time uh, just with those, you know, that was his close inner circle. 
Now, he had an inner circle there, you know, in addition to the church. There was an inner circle even among the apostles. But that doesn't mean that he spent all of his time with them. That was for ministry purposes. It was not because he cared more about them than he did the other people, you see. And so he showed kindness to the poor and to the weak and to the handicapped. And so those are the kind of people he's saying, put those people on your guest list. In other words, we ought to put their needs ahead of our desires. Back in those days, sharing a meal was a big deal. It was really important. It was a sign of friendship and commitment. And whenever you broke bread with someone, it was it was a sign of that you had compassion for that person, and people took it serious. And uh, and even today, whenever we look around, there are people that need to know that we care about them. And, and it's not enough to just say we do. Somebody on Facebook the other day, and uh, I almost remarked because I hate, I hate this joke. I mean, literally, I hate it. Uh, but the person meant well, and the person may be here tonight. I don't remember. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. And I know what they meant, but here's the old man and old woman sitting there together. And she said, what in the world's wrong? She said, you never tell, you, tell me you love me anymore. And the old man says, well, I told, I, I told you once, and he said, if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. You know, I, that just makes me fighting mad. And, and it does, because I know there are people like that, people with that attitude, you know. Well, let me tell you, that's not good enough. It's not good enough for us to just say one time, I love you, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. No, we need to keep saying it over and over and over again. Whether you need to say it or not, I'm telling you, they need to hear that. Whether it's the man or whether it's the woman, we need to hear that. But it's not even enough for us to just say, I love you. Uh I, I determined a long time ago, I had a, 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 a preacher friend up in Colorado that uh, that uh, got killed. He, he uh, went out the door, went to the store, simple errand, something like that, automobile wreck, kaboom, dead. And, and for some reason it just hit me like a ton of brick that, you know, that he parted company with the person that he loved the most. And uh, you, you know, that could happen to any of us. And, and I determined that, that, that I don't leave Bev, even if it's, I'm going to run an errand for 30 minutes. My, my last words are always, I love you. Uh, and and uh, did you ever have a little spat and try to say that when you're in the middle of a little spat? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's hard because you know <laughs> yeah, well it, it, it can be tough I mean because sometimes that that's not what the woman wants to hear they want to hear I'm sorry instead of I love you but but just saying I love you don't miss my point just saying I love you that that's good but that's not enough we need to show it and uh, naturally, that requires effort and expense because in, in, in this context, we're talking about a meal being prepared here. 
And the Lord says, whenever you have one of these banquets, invite those kind of people in. Uh, people that either can't pay you back or they won't pay you back. Uh, but he said, you'll be recompensed in heaven. In other words, your reward is in heaven if you do those things. So all of that being said, it behooves us, whether it's the Thanksgiving season or when, whenever it is, I, if, if I'm not mistaken and my, my thoughts run together sometimes when I write an article or preach a sermon, but I think the morning manna today or the one coming out maybe tomorrow or whatever had to do with the fact that Thanksgiving ought to translate into thankful living. And by that I mean that if we're truly thankful for the things that God has done for us, we we ought to show it in in, in thankful giving of ourselves to other people because God's given us His grace. And, you know, if God's given us His grace, how dare we withhold ourselves from reaching out to meet the needs of other people? And so it does us good to think about ways that we can demonstrate that kind of concern for people. And uh, Thanksgiving Day is a wonderful way to do that. Uh, you see, it, it, it can happen in a church, whether it's, you know, what uh, Eric and Darren had tried to put together, something to say I love you to people by reaching out and and preparing them a turkey. You know, it's a good way to say, you know, we care we care about you. That That's great. So a church can do that. Uh, for example, whenever we have a friend day or whatever it is, it's really an opportunity for us to reach out to people. You know, whenever we have those things, even though we enjoy being in the company of one another, that is so wonderful and so enjoyable, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is when we have those things, it gives us an opportunity to interact with other people and get to know other people. And 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 i got to tell you, it just breaks my heart when we have something like that and... Uh, and so we dismiss the service and we go over there and I see members. And, and, and I know sometimes people have got to. They've got to go to work or they don't feel good or whatever it is. I understand that. But a lot of times with, you know, for no reason, there will be people that will just leave because, you know, they'd rather go somewhere else and do something else than to go back there in the fellowship hall and, uh, uh, and to enjoy a good meal and to interact with people. And it's so important that we have that time of interaction. And we, we can do that as a church. We can do that as individuals. I can remember whenever, uh, whenever we first uh, moved here going on uh, 20, this is the 28th year now. So uh, when we first moved here, there, there were several that every Sunday night, Bertie and, and, and several others, and uh, we all, always went down to Denny's. It was the slowest service in town. Terrible, absolutely terrible. Did anybody, any of you remember back when Denny's used to put that little that little uh, ti- timer on the table, you know? They were trying to improve their quality of service, and boy, they needed to. But, but we didn't care about that, really. Well, they didn't. I was impatient then like I am now. I cared. I I wanted, to, where's the beef? You know, I wanted to eat. And 
But we'd go down there and uh, and just sit around and talk after the service. And that was so good, and it reminded me, and, and, and most of you have heard me say it time and time again, one of the things helped me more than anything else as a young Christian, because here I was, j- just been saved. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I, I didn't know how churches worked. I didn't know what it was all about or anything. And uh, there were several couples that we, we just bonded and, and, and I'm telling you the truth, every Wednesday night, every Sunday afternoon, every Sunday night, this was every single week, uh, basically for the three years that I was there. Uh, and, and after every service, we either had someone or several someones over to our house, because back then you couldn't afford to eat out, you know, like you do today. There was no way that could happen. Uh, so we went to somebody's house or we had somebody over at our house and we'd spend maybe all Sunday afternoon with them. And, uh, and there's just something about that interaction. You know, it helps build relationships and, and mark it down. Whenever people join a church and, and we always talk about being a friendly church and that's wonderful, but people aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for friends. And if people don't connect, with someone, if they don't make that connection, it won't be long until they'll drift away, and oh, that might, they might hang on for a year or so, but eventually they're going to fall by the wayside, because we all need that connection with one another. Now, everybody can't be your best friend. We're not on the same page when it comes to the things that we enjoy. There are some people that like to fish and hunt. Some people like to bowl. Some people like to play golf. Some people, you know, we got all of these different things that we enjoy doing. So we naturally gravitate toward people with which we have a common interest. And uh, that that's well and good. But we ought to constantly be on the lookout for people and praying that, Lord, help me to be able to you know, to to have a sensitivity toward what their need is and to do something to express my concern for that person. And that's why I said, you know, if we are truly thankful, you know, thanksgiving ought to translate to thankful giving, the thankful, joyful giving of ourselves to reach out and minister to other people. And so I hope that you'll, you know, take this as a challenge, not just because it's the Thanksgiving season, but I hope that we'll leave here maybe for the first time feeling that that Thanksgiving ought to be about something more than just saying, Lord, we thank you for all of your bounty. Uh, we need to put it in shoe leather. And, and, and in other words, our attitude of gratitude toward God for all that He's done for us, that ought to translate into ministry to other people. I mean, that's, that's just the way it works, that if we're truly grateful for what God's done, we're going to be willing to reach out and meet the needs of other people. And boy, we don't have to travel around the world, do we? I mean, there are people that are, you know, all around us got needs of different sorts. It might not be financial, 
you know, uh, there might be people with financial needs and, and we can reach out and we can help them and, uh, uh, and thank God we've got people that do just that. But a lot of times, you know, it, it's not money people that need. It's not a new this or a new that. They need emotional support. Or, or, or they, they need a pat on the back or, you know, whatever it is. But, but let's just pray that God help us to sense the need of other people and teach us to care so much about them that, that we'll do unto them as you've done unto us. You know, we keep talking about the golden rule, the golden rule, the golden rule. Let me tell you the best rule is the Jesus rule. Here's what... This is the Jesus rule, that we treat others like Jesus treats us. You see, it's one thing, you know, do unto others as you would have others to do unto you. No, you know, that's not near good enough. We need, we need to do unto them as the Lord's done unto us. And He's loved us unconditionally. Amen. I mean, no conditions, no terms, nothing, nothing required. It, it, he just loves us, and he's been so gracious. And and so, by way of showing our gratitude for his for his grace, uh, put it in shoe leather, make it mean something to where others can see that we are indeed thankful. Thankful even to the extent that we're willing to do unto them as Jesus did for us. I, I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy your family and your friends. That's wonderful. Uh, my, my favorite holiday of the year is Thanksgiving. I love it. I, I think it's just great. But uh, it might be somebody at work or it might be a neighbor or somebody down and out, somebody in need. And reach out to them and, and help this be a joyful season of the year for them also.